you know, as Christians, we have to understand and, and be real with where we are. That's what we have to see first, individually. And what where our mindset is and what we desire. Eric the Addisons. I think what God is really calling us back to, it's those individual personal revivals in our own lives where we're like, oh Lord, what have we done? We have minimized you. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. As the church, man, we should be on the forefront yes. of making disciples, of indoctrination and godly things. If we don't train our kids, they will not be able to stand. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Erin Addison's. On American Family Radio, thank you so much for listening. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And uh, J-Mac is on tap to help us navigate the show. And our brother Richard is going to be taking your calls, if in fact we get to calls, because we have a guest today. Yes, we so do. So I'm not, I'm not sure that we're actually going to get to calls today, unless, unless it turns out that there are some really pressing questions on our topic which there may be. This is one of those topics where people are like, well, I, I need to know. I need to, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> um, but we will have a guest. So, yes. so, so let's just kind of, um, let's just wait and see. Actually, I see him. Did you see the guest? <laughs> okay, good. Okay. We can all breathe. There's always that moment where you just don't know, like anything could happen. For example, I just will tell you, um, yesterday was mm -hmm. the day of the Christian martyr, June yeah. 29th, the day yeah. of the Christian martyr. And we intended um, on Tuesday to have a guest because we wanted to talk about this, kind of looking ahead to this. This is a part of, um, you know, our family history when we talk about those who have paid the ultimate price right. for carrying the faith. Guys, just think about that, right? Paid the hmm. ultimate price for carrying the faith. And That's so right. we had this all scheduled and ready to go. But then there was suddenly a family emergency. And so when something like that happens, and of course, you know, you you have to just kind of go with it, okay? So we're yeah. not going to be able to talk about that. But um, I wanted to make sure to mention that um, and to talk about the practical reasons. And I do that just for a few moments here before we get our guest on or get our guest in studio and set up and everything. Um, it's so important for us with our children to ensure that they have a full picture, a full understanding of the faith. When you talk about the martyrs and when you talk about those who were willing and who did give their life for the sake of the gospel, mm -hmm. you're actually showing your kids and your grandkids and any kid in your life. Okay. Yeah. Um, you're actually showing them that the faith costs. Like, so you're, yes. you're actually giving them a real time kind of example that it, it's not just a, um, a posture to suffer. Right. But that there are those who did suffer so that we could get the gospel intact. And mm. I'll tell you what, what we had been doing. Um, and this was not meant to coincide with the day of the Christian martyr, um, and, and by the way, people may be wondering, so why June 29th? According to church tradition, it is believed that the Apostle Paul was martyred on June 29th. So that has kind of um, become sort of like the accepted date or the, the date that is, is batted about. Mm -hmm. And um, from Voice of the Martyrs, there's a there's a um, there's a way for churches to have been. It's kind of a little bit dated now, but you could still do it uh, to to celebrate that and to recognize that there are brothers and sisters in the Lord who carried the gospel mm. um, at the expense of their life and are still doing this, That's are right. still carrying the gospel at the expense of their life. So with our kids, we actually started reading through um, the Voice of the Martyrs, uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs, right? Mm -hmm. The Fox Book of Martyrs. And um, going through one entry every morning, reading it together and talking about it. And what what happened and I didn't expect this to happen. This was not the aim. I just I try to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Right. Like that if if we are going through different things and um, 
it's hard to explain, but I will I will feel like a prompting to just, okay, it's time to study this. Mm. It's time to read this. It's time to go through that. And and that's the blessing of being led by the Spirit of God, which, by the way, all of us who are in the body of Christ have this blessing to be Amen. led by the Spirit of God. <laughs> it's not a unique and kind of, you know, privileged thing. Well, it is, but it's a privilege that all of us in Christ have. <laughs> Here's my point. We're, <laughs> we're going through... Um, the Fox's Book of Martyrs and reading one entry and discussing that and just kind of just just talking it through. This is what it is to live as a believer. And as we're going through and looking at the apostles and starting with Stephen, the first Christian martyr, um, and then working through the apostles to the last to the last one to die in the first century of the church, the apostle John, uh, who was not martyred. In fact, it was very difficult. They tried, <laughs> they tried. Um, but the Lord had the final say, which yeah. in all of the matters he does. Amen. Um, but as we were going through this, there was something that one of our children said that I did not expect, nor was it my aim, but I was grateful for it. As we were reading some of the accounts of the, the, the history that holds and how some of the apostles died uh, and what some of their words were mm-hmm. uh, before their death or upon their death. Um, one of our daughters said, wow, here I am often lamenting the things that we have to give up in this life to take a stand for Christ. And you've got people who are being crucified on an X shaped cross. Mm. You've got people who, um, according to church history, were sawn in two for the mm. sake of the gospel. And and I just kind of took a step back for a second, and I thought, you know, that, wow, not only did I, I, I want you guys to know that, but to be able to apply that in that way and to understand that the sacrifices that we make here, yeah. right? Like, you know, we say we're suffering. <laughs> we're, we're suffering, right? Um, but to really think about um, suffering and to really think about persecution and to have that and to understand that as a feature of carrying the gospel, I think is priceless. And so anyway, I would encourage you to survey that aspect of our history, of the church's yeah. history, those who were willing to give their lives and who did give their lives on behalf of the gospel. Um, Tertullian, one of the early church fathers who was also known as the phrase maker Tertullian, you might be familiar from church history. He was the one who coined the term Trinity. Trinity is not in the Bible, but the presentation of the eternally existent Godhead is Amen. Old Testament to New Testament. Yep. <laughs> um, it was Tertullian who who kind of um, gave a term to that uh, in, in the use of the, the word Trinity. You apologetics moment here, guys, you will hear people say Trinity is not in the Bible. No, the word Trinity is not in the Bible, but the presentation of the eternally existent Godhead three in one. Uh, one yet three is all throughout scripture, Old Testament to new, mm-hmm. <laughs> eternally existent. Yeah. It was Tertullian who um, God gave him a gift and an ability to be able to put things in, you know, easy to understand and conceptualize terms. So Trinity was one of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and even he developed what I guess, if you will, what we would call a formula for the Trinity, three and yet one, one substance, yet three persons, three persons, yet one substance. And so this is the, through the history of the church. This is where we have gotten the term Trinity and how, it, how that has kind of come down to us. My point in bringing Tertullian up is that Tertullian was actually one to the faith because of the martyrs. Mm. The martyrs. Yeah. He said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. 
So, and, and I'll paraphrase this, this next quote, because I don't have it in front of me here, but he, he said something to the effect that in direct proportion to how you, how you um, cut us down, the church grows. <laughs> so he was one to the wow. faith because he saw the Christians dying unjustly and refusing to recant. So when you think about that, like, hmm. you know, for many of us living in America, we are not being called upon right now in this time to give our lives. Right. But there is a type of laying down one's That's life. Right. That's right. Right. It is a decision yeah. that we make every single day yeah. when we say no to this world and we say no to the offerings of this world. And I really do believe that there are people who are looking on, who are seeing that, yeah. you know, and, and, and we have a real opportunity to win people to the faith and when we, um, Go ahead, Will the Great. Yeah, no, I was going to say, you know, it's, it's amazing, too, um, to look back through history. You even have it in the scriptures. Talk, you know, talk talks about, you know, the different ones who, who died uh, for the faith. You know, we look back at Stephen and different yes. ones, and even in, you know, Hebrews uh, yes. 11. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, you can esteem so many people today because of what they do, because of mm-hmm. athleticism or because of yes. acting and but man, for the believer, man, you know, those who have given their lives, you know, paid the greatest price, you know, for the for, for Christ, you know, those should those should be esteemed, you know, and like remembered and like, man. And like you're saying, even today, they're doing the same thing. It's happening now. You know, this is it's just something that's um, that's ongoing. And, and man, when you think about the price that was paid, mm-hmm. the price that was paid, it's like, man, you know, for uh for faith in Christ, Amen. you know, for fidelity to, to God, man, it's, it's amazing. And it's something that we as the church uh, should look back towards and, and gain strength from. Yes. You know, absolutely. Absolutely. The Hebrew writer uh, wrote that the world was not worthy of them. Mm. The world was not worthy of them. And, and, you know, so often I wonder, and this is something that you and I are so desperately trying to pass down to our children. Number one, the faith intact, but also the integrity and the boldness to be able to follow Jesus Christ, whatever the cost Mm. to be, to be able to live in such a way that it would be said of them that the world is not worthy of you. Mm. The world is, you know, instead of trying to teach our kids to be accepted by the world or to love the things of the world, which the Bible actually condemns, like not loving the things of the world, right? Mm -hmm. What if we taught our kids to live in such a way where their peculiarity is so pronounced, Mm. right? It's, I mean, it is, it is so on display that it is a testimony or it becomes almost an indictment against a world that is rejecting Jesus Christ. And Mm. and I know that that is very countercultural and it's very difficult to do because so much of American living has become enmeshed with the church and we are not able to really see the distinction of what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so now we're, we're, we're kind of like trying to get through the weeds of that, like trying to figure out where the line is and, and all of the direction that our country is going. Yeah. This, this was never meant to be um, synonymous to Christian living, <laughs> right? Only Christian living is Christian living. Now you've got a you've got a huge amount of Christians in America, right? And that has been the story of our country. But I think what what we've gotten wrong is that we've seen um, the falling away, but still equated that to to Christianity because well, it's America, right? I mean, and so that just must be what we all do around here. But only Christian living is Christian living, and it's man, we've we've already been uh, taught 
by the word of God yeah. that um, that if we uh, are going to live godly, mm-hmm. that, man, I mean, look, we're going to suffer. Right. We are going to suffer. We're, we're going to be persecuted. Um, we will get on people's radars so to speak. But Mm. I think that when you raise your kids, when you instill in your kids that Jesus Christ is worthy. And by the way, when I say the things that we're doing as a family, it is because we get so many questions about, Hey, what are you guys doing? Like, Mm. what are you reading? Like, what are the things that you're doing with Mm -hmm. your kids? Um, Because we're raising kids in this culture. We're not looking back on the kids that we've already raised. Mm -hmm. We're raising them in this culture right now. And whatever information we can share that would be a blessing to the body of Christ. That's what we try to do. And also to, to grands who will, Um, help influence their grandkids. This is so important, right? So anyway, I say that to say, uh, given our our kids and our grandkids a full picture of the faith, right? Like we don't, because sometimes we're afraid to talk about the martyrs because we think that if we tell our kids that following Christ costs, they may not want to. Um, actually, no, tell, tell them that following Christ costs up front so that they can really decide, right? <laughs> like tell them that it will cost them. Like they've, they've got to be willing to count the cost up front. So often we're like, we just want them to make a decision. Yeah. We want them to make a profession of faith. And, and if we can keep sort of the, um, the uncomfortable parts <laughs> away from them, then we stand a better chance of them becoming followers. But don't you want them to be followers fully understanding the cost? Amen. Like, you, yeah. you know, you don't, you don't tell your kid come to Christ so that they can live their best life now. You tell them come to Christ so that their souls will be saved so that you can be reconciled to God. Your relationship with the Lord has been broken because of sin. But Jesus Christ died to reconcile you back to the father. Mm. And indeed, everything inside of you is crying out for that. That's why there's the emptiness and the hollowness. So you tell your kids that you tell them the truth of what the gospel is. Then you show them that the faith, man, it has a long trail of those who so believed Mm-hmm. And so lived for the glory of God that they did not consider this world right above that commitment. Their, their love for this world was tempered really by their commitment to, to sharing the gospel. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just sort of like a, um, a detached. Oh, I love this world. Right. You know, their, their hope was, some, you know, other other places in the world to come in the world to come. You know? Yeah. And they loved this world in as much as they wanted to see those in it one to the Lord. That's right. Right. We cannot present to our kids this independent love of the world for the sake of the world. Like, oh, I just I just love everything (laughs) that it has to offer. There must always be this tension that we present to our kids. It's like, hey, listen, you're living in this world. Right. And 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 what will be is not yet. But let me tell you, don't let this world don't let this world capture you. Mm. Only allow Christ to capture you. You be captured by Christ in your love for him. All right. We're going to grab the break. Aaron, the Addison's American Family Radio. Stay right there. Welcome back to Aaron the Addison's on American Family Radio. We appreciate you listening. I'm Miki. And I'm Will, and that's Phil Wickham with Living Hope. All right. So in the next two segments, we are going to be talking durable trades. Yes. We're going to be <laughs> we're going to be talking <laughs> farming. We are going to be talking agriculture. Mm-hmm. We're going to be talking about restoring the family. 
Amen. We're going to be talking a little bit about research, just a little bit. I don't want to scare Rory, and I shouldn't because it's his research. Like, I mean, <laughs> you know, but we're going to we're going to talk about something that Will the Great and I are very interested in um, and yet <clears throat> not very skilled at. Yes. So, 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 but we're, but we, <laughs> but we are willing to learn. Okay. Amen. So, and, and then also we're going to discuss the book, Durable Trades, Family-Centered Economies That Have Stood the Test of Time. Our guest who joins us, well, actually we have two guests. We have Rory and his daughter, Elsie Groves. And Rory is a technology consultant and founder of multiple software businesses who several years ago moved his family from the city to the country. Amazing. <laughs> it's sort of it's sort of like a Christian Green Acres kind of I don't know maybe I don't I don't know maybe that's not it. Um, somebody heard the theme music though. I'm sorry guys for for anyone who heard the theme music. Um, anyway, to begin their journey towards a more durable way of life, Rory and his wife Becca now reside in southern Minnesota where they farm, raise livestock, host workshops, mm-hmm. and homeschool their five children. Which, as I understand it, is going to be six soon. It's expanding. wonderful i mean just wonderful all right rory thank you so much for joining us how are you i'm wonderful so good to be here i'm really grateful to be part of your show yeah this is you know so i was reading over um some of your your position and the research that you've conducted and i was really fascinated by one what the lord just prompted you to do um you and your wife becca but then, two, the research that you were able to connect to that decision and to see the decline in family as some of our trades mm. shifted in this country. I'm really fascinated by that. And I want to I want to focus on that a little bit. But yeah, before we've talked we do, about that, me and you. Just yeah. The, the, you know, because I had a question about, like, what happened, you know, mm-hmm. and we, we kind of discussed that. And, and you know what's interesting, though, is like in my ignorance, I was using a lot of um, just anecdotal kind of like information, <laughs> like just, OK, well, then you had this. But then, you know, you've got like the computer guy who comes with like numbers and data and looking at information and all of the research, yes. which is always nice to uh, kind of put together. Um, and so but before we get into that, though, Rory, could you provide for us kind of just a little bit of your background? How do you go from, you know, computers to coops? Like how, how does that happen? <laughs> computers to chicken coops. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I would say to you, and and I kind of chronicle some of the journey that we took in, a, in the book, but um, I didn't see it coming. I mean, I'm as surprised by where we ended up 10 years into this experiment as anybody, and, and nobody, I can guarantee you, expected me to be the one in the family that would end up on a farm. So... <laughs> the, I guess the way I, would, the way I would explain it is that my entire life I've been so focused on the high technology elements and the most modern technology and, and computing and software and programs. And that's kind of was my entire life. Mm. And things really began to shift for me as I was having kids and growing a family. And we kind of uh, decided to move out into the country, a little bit away from the city life and try to learn some of these basic skills. I think there was just a craving because everything that I was putting my hands to was going obsolete. Anyone mm. out there who's listening to this and is involved in technology, they know what I'm talking about. You can put a lot of time and effort into something and then you watch it go obsolete very rapidly. Mm. And um, that's just the nature of that industry. But then when we move out to the farm and we're, we're you know, raising chickens or we're milking goats or uh, getting honey from honeybees and planting apple <laughs> orchards, we're doing all these things that are incredibly tangible. Yeah. And, and, and they're, they're very meaningful ways to to conduct this work and it's the same kind of work that we've been doing for thousands of years all of a sudden mm-hmm. we're reconnecting with a human tradition 
that in our modern society we've completely lost track of. So, so did you know how to do any of this? When you- <laughs> Not a thing. There's I hope, mean, there's, I, hope. there's hope for everybody because wow. let me tell you, I, both my wife and I, we grew up in the suburbs. You know, my wife had some farmers in her extended family, but neither one of us knew a thing of what wow. we were doing. And we are, our expertise is not being experts. And so we tell everybody, <laughs> right, if right. we can do it, you can do it. Wow, that's amazing. So when you guys uh, moved out to the farmland, how much land did y'all, like, if you don't mind me asking, yeah, yeah, no. was it, was how much? We have 10 acres. Wow. And yeah. you never, you, you never did anything like that before. Never. Wow. Was that overwhelming? I mean, I just, I just feel like I would, you know, for me, just, you know, trying to have like some tomatoes in sort of like a, a pot kind of a thing in the backyard was a little bit overwhelming and, and actually um, it was a failure. So I just wonder, like when you go out to 10 acres and you're there and you're like, well, <clears throat> here we are, you know, like what's the first thing that you do? Oh, it's so easy to become overwhelmed. And we took our time. I mean, when I, we've been there 10 years this summer but we intentionally went very slow and we went, we wanted to learn things. We didn't just want to try to create a farm-based business and we weren't stepping into a huge operation. So for us, it was very intentional to take our time and to really enjoy what we were doing and to bring the kids and the family along into it. Cause that was the thing about it for uh, my, the main part of my job, um, you know, I'd have to leave the family to do my work. But mm. when we were on the farm, when we're doing all these things together, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're, we're together for the bulk of our day. And even if it's, you know, hot and dirty and, mm-hmm. and, and strenuous and, you know, for bailing hay or if machinery's breaking down, it's, you know, I have my sons and my daughters they are right there with me. We're learning all these lessons together. And there's, there's so much richness and fulfillment in that aspect that that's really what was drawing us to this more, I guess you'd say, durable uh, type of vocation. Wow. Now let's wow. talk about that. Let's talk about the use of the word durable. And and then also I want to go back to what you said here about the family, because I think that's a really ex- excellent uh, segue. Yeah. When you talk about the way that we work in America and how that has changed over the years has had a profound effect on the family. In fact, it has conceptualized for us or given us a, a different uh, conceptualization of the family that I think if we really kind of drill down, which I think that's part of what your research shows, the way we have kind of reconceptualized the family is quite different from the biblical presentation of the family. Mm-hmm. And that has largely been based on the way we earn a living. Can we talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in the book, I go into detail about the Industrial Revolution and mm-hmm. what a radical transformation and really a short amount of time, if you think about it historically. But society completely reoriented itself around the factory system, mm-hmm. around the um, efficient production of stuff, really, mm-hmm. when you get down to it. started with the textile mills, uh, you saw coal mining, and you saw industry, and you saw people leaving the farms, moving into the cities because you could get more money uh, in a factory job than you could on the family farm. Mm-hmm. So whereas a, as a family used to be able to produce all of the things that they needed right on the land, or in community with other families that were on the land, uh, that you saw people uh, choosing to get paychecks, essentially, and buy the things that they needed. But one of the things that happened with that was that the family began to be separated for yeah. the first time in human mm. history. Yeah. The, actual, the actual purpose of the family as a work unit became disrupted 
and they were no longer around to help provide for each other. They were around to go seek a paycheck at the highest possible bidder, essentially mm-hmm. working for corporations, working in these different institutions. You saw the women go off to the textile mills. You saw men go to the coal mines. And that was a completely new innovation in human history. We had mm-hmm. never had that before where families would be split up to find their mm-hmm. sustenance. Mm-hmm. And in the process, we lost. We really lost a lot of what God intended families to be. Essentially, we lost the relationships. We lost the opportunity for discipleship, for mentorship. You know, all the passing on of the faith. That happened in the mm-hmm. context of working together. Amen. Mm-hmm. You know, Rory, I, I for a long time, and, and I, I don't say a lot of this um, publicly because I think it is somewhat controversial, and I don't, I don't think it has to be, but I think it's counterintuitive for a lot of Christians living in America. But one of the things that I have lamented um, in, in small group settings, right, is that this idea of we've got to get moms back in the homes, but somehow giving dads a pass. I, I don't see a biblical defense for that. Like I, and, and it's almost like we have taken Titus 2 and we have said that only the wife has to care about the home as if, as if the father has no responsibility, but we are really filtering that through sort of like post-industrial revolution, Mm -hmm. through an American lens, what would the early church have understood about the structure of the family and the importance of dads actually being present in the home as well? Yeah, you hit the nail on the head, Mickey. Um, The Bible doesn't distinguish which person is supposed to be in the house or out of the house. I mean, we all know by definition, I mean, by, by, by circumstance that sometimes dad or mom might have to be out of the house for a period mm-hmm. of time. That's not the normative way of history, let alone the Bible. Mm-hmm. I mean, God took Adam and Eve and put them in the garden. They were a family. There was no separate place that he sent Adam and, and from Eve as a way to provide for that family. And it never, there was never a point in history or in the church where the family was recommended to be split up in order to f- secure their means of uh, sustenance. And so, you know, I'll take you back to the concept of the household and the paterfamilias. Um, I've shared on this before, but the paterfamilias was the head of the house. It was the father of the family. In the word, mm-hmm. the in the Greek, you can't say the word family without saying the word father. Mm. Wow. And so um, the father was hmm. always inseparable from the family, mm-hmm. and it was his responsibility to provide for the family, but to also marshal the family's talents, as C.R. Wiley, a great author on this topic, he, he writes a lot about this. His, it was his responsibility to marshal the family's talents together around a common vision, and then that, vi- that family would pursue the same vision together. Not mom going one direction, dad going another direction, <laughs> uh, the kids split up in multiple different school districts or different grades where the brothers and the sisters aren't even in the same classroom together. That's a completely foreign concept to the history wow. of the household. And I'm not just talking about in Christendom. I'm talking about for all of history. Sure. So the 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 strong, powerful, productive households that that maintain civilization throughout time have been greatly disrupted by this pursuit of material gain, by this pursuit of consumer stuff, you know, materialism. Uh, this is a very modern and recent innovation, and, and when we would see the rise of corporations and governments taking the place of what families used to provide for themselves. And so the result of that um, has been a complete disaster. There there (laughs) are things. And and I will say this. Excuse me. I will just say this 
about myself because I, I don't, you know, this is, it's just the truth. The things that we consider now to be sort of like um, <clears throat> profound or we're like, oh my goodness, you, you farm land. Oh my goodness, you do this. These things would have been unremarkable. To families like it'd have been like like why are you talking about this like let's get back to work like let's (laughs) let's do this so my question is based on your research rory like how how long did it take for us to lose some of those basic abilities to do the things that right now are like whoa you built that house you know Mm -hmm. what i mean like but these things would have been sort of like just innate i guess maybe that's not the right word but it would have been commonplace among families passed down you know, they yes, just know yes. how to do it. Yeah. How long did it take for us to lose that in America? Well, I mean, I would trace it back again to the Industrial Revolution. So that was yeah. roughly kicking off at the founding of our country around 1790, so the late 18th century. And for a period of about 150 years, you saw the systematic destruction of the way of life that we've always lived. And a lot of this is, I'm saying this is voluntary. I mean, people, people were more attracted yeah. to the money than they were to the things that they were giving up for that money. And sad to say, but I think we, a lot of us can relate to that. We know that we do sometimes take family for granted. We take community for granted and we take the earth for granted. And so we, there, there is that, that voluntary component, but what we're saying is you don't have to give those things up. This is still voluntary. You can choose to reclaim what has been given up over the last couple of centuries. Now, if you're like I am, you're waking up inside of a post-industrial culture you don't even know what's been lost. Like when we moved out to the farm and we wanted to learn about tapping maple trees to make maple syrup, you know, we were starting, we had no clue. And it was the most miraculous thing we had ever seen that you can poke a hole in a maple tree and this watery substance starts coming out that if you boil wow. it down, it turns into syrup. Isn't that cool? That is cool. Yeah, I agree. But that was unremarkable so for a long time. it not come from the grocery time. shelves? Like that's not where exactly. it, it doesn't... Okay, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, I'm just saying. But, that you know, th- this way of life was slowly eroded to the point where we delegated and abdicated everything out to professionals, to corporations, mm. to, in some cases, welfare became the purview of the government rather mm. than the church. Mm. And mm. these things, we, ga- we slowly gave these things up over a period of about 150 years, I would say, wow. 150, 200 years, until the point where there's many in our generation now that are saying, you know, this is not a very sustainable or a stable way to live when we run into some shocks, you know, the supply chains and yeah. the pandemics and yeah. the, yes. all these upheavals. Well, yeah. people, these are nothing new. People had these things right. all the time before. The difference was that they could produce their own supply of food. They mm. had their own supply chains. Come on. Mm-hmm. Or if they had to go somewhere off their farm, it was in their local community. So they had mm-hmm. a lot of resiliency and ability to sustain some of the shocks to the systems that we're starting to run into now. Wow. You know, and we're coming up on a break, but I had a question about the process, you know, because you're coming out of, you know, a corporate type setting and I'm just so curious about like, how did that go? Like, what was the Lord speaking to you and how long did it take, you know, for you to get to the point where you're like, okay, we're we're going to do this, but I know we got a, a break coming up, so we might be able to answer that after the break. Yeah, you know, this is so fascinating, and and I'm glad that we're having this conversation because I I also want to make this relevant to some of our listeners. I know that um, in the book you you actually lay out, um, I guess, kind of reducing a little bit of the overwhelm. There may be people who are listening who would say, I okay, I'm in. Okay, yeah, I want to restore the family. <laughs> I I, I want to be with my kids. I want to, you know, and, and but they feel like I don't even know where to start. So I I kind of want to. Um, 
boil it down kind of like maple sap from the trees i don't know <laughs> um if my analogy fails then just bear with me city slicker uh, i want to talk about that and talk about how doable durable trades are for everyone listening we'll take the break and be right back Welcome back to Aaron the Addisons on American Family Radio. I'm Miki. And I'm Will, and that's Crowder with Good God Almighty. And our guests today are Rory and his daughter, Elsie Groves. And Rory is the author of the book, Durable Trades, Family-Centered Economies That Have Stood the Test of Time. And we're talking, we're talking before we went to the break, um, about the ease with which one might uh, try to... I don't know, get back to farm life. Is it fair to say get back to farm life if you've never lived or worked on a farm? Maybe at some point it's in, it's got to be in your blood somewhere. I don't know. Um, before we do that, though, Will the Great, because you kind of set us up with a question going to yeah. break, I would like to interview Elsie just for a second yeah. here, yeah. if we could. Okay. Hi, Elsie. How are you? I'm good. Great. Thank you so much for joining us. How old are you, Elsie? I'm nine. Okay, and so are, what number are you in the family? What birth order are you? Are you number one, number two? What I'm, number are you? I'm number two. You're number two. Okay, so you've got three under you. Uh-huh. Is that right? Three siblings under you and then another on the way. So tell me about your role on the family farm. Like, tell me what it is that you are tasked with doing. I feed the chickens and cats. Okay. Well, that's wonderful. <laughs> what else do you do in the house? Clean the house. Cleans the house. He's mom's number one helper in the house. Okay, let me just tell you, I I personally have a very strong affinity for those who help clean the house. I I just, I I really appreciate those because it is a gift, right? Like, are you able to see those things that kind of need to be done? Are you kind of the one who says, hey, do you see that over there? It doesn't need to be there. Let's get these things in their place. Yeah. I, I really appreciate that. All right. Number one tip. And we're going to go back to your dad here in just a second. But number one tip for those who are taking care of chickens, you feed the chickens. Um, if you had to give us a tip, something maybe you would warn us about, um, maybe a caution. I don't know if you've ever been pecked or poked <laughs> by a chicken or anything that we need to be aware of. What's your number one tip? Awesome. Oh, that's awesome. it. Tell them Predators. about that. Awesome. Watch out for the possums. Oh. It's a good one. Wait, wait, hold on. See, yeah. Because okay. <laughs> hold on, man. hold on, Rory, hold on, Elsie, because you kind of don't have to worry about that when you when you go to KFC. Like there are no, like you just walk in. No, no. Hopefully, you just... hopefully you're not worrying about possums at KFC. Because <laughs> then you'd way. have other problems if yeah. that were the case. So have you wow. ever? In, I'm sorry, Rory. This is what happens when you introduce kids. Okay, like it's just your interview great. is we're over here. With it. Okay. Um, so Elsie, have you encountered a possum before and, and then like what, what happened? <laughs> well, one time I was walking outside and I saw a possum going to the chicken yard, but mm. no, it never you... got any chickens. But... Okay. Then All right. That one, that one ran away on its own. Yes. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. See, <laughs> that's the kind of. Can we do that, Mickey? No, no. <laughs> you know, like I here. Here's my thing. You know, because I would want to protect my chickens. I really would. I'd want to protect my chickens. 
but because I'm not really familiar with possums and I don't I don't know what they do or how they react to people. The, the hiss and the I kind of would ask for a miracle. I'd be like, oh, Lord, save the chickens. Like, <laughs> you know, and just I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, Rory, let's let's go back to you, though, because when you happen upon these these 10 acres that you happen upon, I imagine <laughs> that you don't you don't go on to the land with this immediate revelation of what God is going to do through this whole process. But at some point that happens, you begin to do research and um, take us through that. Like how, yeah, how do process. you, yeah. the whole process? Well, yeah. And then like I shared earlier, I, you know, I didn't come out to become a farmer. I actually had never planned to stop doing what I'm doing with the software and the computers or anything like that. That was the furthest thing from my mind. I just wanted to get out a little bit more space, maybe get a few animals, kind of enjoy the idea of living in the country. Mm-hmm. But what really started to impact me was the way was was a contrast bef- between my life at a desk in front of a screen versus life outside with my family, digging in the dirt, stewarding creation. I mean, there we are designed to take care of creation. It's mm-hmm. it's right there. You put. Adam in the garden to tend and keep it. So it's mm-hmm. it's wired into us. And something happens to you when you really get reconnected with nature, with creation. You start to see God reveal himself in the garden in ways that you didn't know. You didn't read it that way before when you saw that. You know, I've been... I've had uh, to separate sheep and goats before. It's a real thing. Mm. You know, I've seen how the sheep respond to their shepherd. Mm. There's all these elements wow. that are... The entire Bible's in an <laughs> agricultural context. And so um, there are some deeper truths that you pick up, but there's also just this this sense of fulfillment of I'm I'm supposed to be involved with this. This mm. is this is a meaningful part of the human experience, growing your own food, you know, tending animals and things like that. Mm. What was um, I have another question? What was one of the hardest things for you uh, to learn out there? Like, what was the thing that was like, man, this was this Tra- was tough tractors. <laughs> Tractors. <laughs> okay. I am not a mechanic. Oh. I don't have a mechanical bone in my body. And when I, the only thing I could afford was these really old 60 year old John Deere tractors and implements mm. and things like that. And everything would, of course, have to break down and I'd have to learn how to fix it. And it was just beyond my comprehension. It was so intimidating <laughs> to me. It's the stuff that was probably super simple for all my neighbors. For yeah. me, it just was really intimidating. So. That's been that's been part of the steepest learning curve for me. Wow. But, um, you know, we brought the tractors in because we wanted to try to cut our own hay so that we'd have uh, uh, be able to feed our animals over the winter. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, that was that was probably the hardest part. But we didn't start there. We started with the, the easy things, the chickens, mm-hmm. uh, the gardens, uh, honeybees and maple syrup and some of the fun, easy things to do. And we just gradually added each year as we were there according to what we felt capable of doing. So, so in this process, you know, uh, of course, you're doing what you're doing, and then God is speaking to you, or He's moving upon your heart. How long did it take you, you know, to say okay to your wife, like, hey, this is what Lord is putting on my heart. We need to go towards this. Was it a long process? Did it happen fairly quickly? Yeah, that's a good question. So for me, um, and I want to back up and say when we talk about us moving out to the farm. Um, the book doesn't cover just farming. It's okay. not farming is one of sixty trades that I yeah, explore in the book. <laughs> uh, there's many, many different ways that families have worked together throughout uh, history, 
And so for me, um, I was coming to a point in my career where I was looking at, am I going to, am I going to re up and continue building things that go obsolete mm-hmm. for the next 20 plus right. years of my life? Right. Uh, without my kids with me, or am I going to, you know, my kids are young right now. This is kind of my season to be their, you know, the one, the main influencer in their lives where right. I can disciple them and I can, I can kind of help train them, um, and be with my wife and, you know, make home education actually a full life education, not just something mm, about textbooks, so but good. actually everything we're doing is part of education. That's right. So I was, I was at a point in my life where I was asking these questions is, is there an option available to families like us mm-hmm. that want to work together and that want to build something that's going to last? Yeah. Because the other thing was, you know, you'd hear of these family businesses that had been passed down from one generation to the next generation. Mm-hmm. They go on for three or four or five generations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when I start digging into the numbers, you have the average career last seven years right now. Burning mm-hmm. the BLS, and you have people mm-hmm. switching jobs every two and a half years within those careers. So you have such a radically different mode of work today than what has historically been practiced. So yeah. for me, uh, going down this path is I just started out as a, a personal research project: is what's out there? Mm-hmm. Is this even a possibility for families today? And I started putting together a spreadsheet and looking at you know well, well if if something is going to make the list, how. How uh, durable does it have to be? What does that even mean? And so I just said, well, if it was around before the Industrial Revolution mm-hmm. and it's still around today, that yeah. means it's survived, of course, the industrial uh, disruptions, it's uh, uh, survived revolution and war mm-hmm. and pandemics and mm-hmm. economic collapse and uh, different kinds of societal upheavals. It's, it's basically been very durable if it's been around since the founding of our country. Yeah. And so, so I, what I were decided some of those, to do Rory? that. Yeah, so uh, we've already talked about farming and, of course, shepherding, but there's other things like um, painting, mm-hmm. um, preparing food. So cook is in there, carpenter, woodworker, midwife, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. a really interesting one because midwifery was basically outlawed for a long period of time in our country. But it has been a very long all the way back to Moses talks about mm. the midwives, mm-hmm. um, innkeepers. So we see the resurgence of Airbnb, and I'd say probably wow. the number one most accessible, durable trade available to families today is innkeeping. We have families wow. we know that have within this within one year they get uh, property they they uh, had that had multiple buildings on it. They were able to start renting out one of the households on the property, and uh, in under three months the property was paying them to live there. Wow. Because wow. of the the innovations of some of the modern uh, yeah. home sharing things. Uh, you have things like masonry and silversmithing, author, butcher, um, even sawyers. We have a, right now mobile sawmills are a huge thing where people hmm. can basically hitch up a sawmill to a trailer, drive it anywhere around, um, you know, the state or the country. I think in Minnesota we have something like 3,000 mobile sawmills. Wow. And they can come to a site, set up shop, uh, uh, mill the wood and people can make uh, build a home out of you know on a special site right from the wood milled from their own property <laughs> but these are kinds of these unique professions that yeah. if you look at them like oh that's interesting but they've actually been around for thousands of years wow. been incredibly durable tell us about well man i i have a question now <laughs> i i don't know how comfortable you feel um in in answering this question but if we are able to look at durable trades and, you know, the ones that you just listed, and, and I know you haven't exhausted the research that's in your book, but what would be 
some examples of some of these trades that are not durable. Some of the ones that <laughs> maybe we need to be on guard against that we are maybe telling our kids, you know, we're putting this out in front of them and maybe we shouldn't. Do you do you have any yeah. any comments on that? Well, yeah, I do. <laughs> um, basically, if we look at the, this book has 61 trades in all, and it was starting from a pool of about 70 total trades that existed in 1790. So roughly, give or take, about 70 trades you had to choose from if you were starting out life in, in around the founding of our country. Today we have over 30,000 trades, or occupations, I should say, to choose from. The vast majority of trades and professions that were created from the Industrial Revolution were also destroyed by the Industrial Revolution. So mm. we have you know, so many professions every single day that are being invented and then a short time later being destroyed. Um, and so a lot of mm. the things that we take for granted today is the high paying you know, jobs to have four-year college degrees. Those are the jobs that are most likely to be eliminated with the rise of automation and robotics and software wow. algorithms in the next 10 years. They're mm. expecting a displacement of 800 million workers in the next 10 years due wow. to the robotic automation and the uh, robotic revolution. But at the same time, over the same period of time, building trades, jobs in the building trades are expected to increase by 30%. So you'll see many people with four-year college degrees actually losing jobs in the same period of time where unschooled or we could just say apprenticed or trained, self-trained uh, tradesmen are actually in high dema higher demand than they've ever been. There's, so there's a complete inversion happening right now in our society, and most people don't see this trend coming. Rory, where before we run out of time, and I, I do have a follow-up question, but before we run out of time, where can our, our listeners get a copy of the book Durable Trades? Uh, the book is available anywhere that books are sold. You can come okay. to our website, gatherandgrow.us. And we also put together a newsletter on that site. If anyone's interested in following along uh, about this concept of the family economy, we specifically put together a newsletter around that to encourage other Christian families um, to learn how to do it and, and, and what's working and hear from other families and just to be encouraged. So either one of those resources can be, at, can be found at gatherandgrow.us. That actually kind of leads me to, I guess, what will end up being our final question, because we've got listeners who um, may be on the side of being kind of a skeptic. Maybe they don't believe that they could create a family economy. Maybe they just don't see how that could even begin. Are there ways for families to learn what maybe God has equipped them to do? I mean, I'm sure that there's, there's got to be some kind of indication that you are uniquely designed to do this specific work that kind of has a durable trade in it. How do, how do you begin to learn that? Yes, absolutely. So every family, I fully believe that every family is gifted a unique vision from God to carry out in this world that no other mm. family can do. Because just like God brought those children that you have into your family, he, he chose you of all the parents in the world to bring those children to. He mm -hmm. brought your family together with all of its unique gifts and aptitudes and interests and abilities and backgrounds and experiences. And God has something that's specific for your family. So a matter, a good place to start is just to sit down and say, what is it that we do well together? And how mm -hmm. can we leverage what we do together for the glory of God? 
Mm, amen. 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 And this is, I, I feel like That's we've great. run out of time too quickly. There, there are more questions to be asked. I would recommend highly that our listeners get the book, Durable Trades, Family-Centered Economies that have stood the test of time. So you can go to gatherandgrow.us, gatherandgrow.us. Also learn about the ministry that happens through the Gross family. I don't think you're going to be disappointed. Will the Great can't stop talking about it. So uh, thank you so much, Roy. We appreciate you. you. Thank you for taking the time. All right, we're out of time until tomorrow, Lord willing. God bless.